Well, good morning. Today we are continuing the sermon series that we kicked off a couple of weeks ago, uh, entitled Immerse, and we are looking at different books of the Bible. We're reading through our Immerse Bible, uh, the books of Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, and First and Second Kings. And the section we're looking at today comes from the book of Judges, pretty obvious from the video. And we're, we are going to be looking at the story of a man, Samson. And Samson, a lot of people hear that name and they, they know they know of Samson, whether they've been a part of the church or not a part of the church. Most people recognize the name Samson. And, and what that conjures up, what his name conjures up, would be a, a massive guy, big, huge, rippling muscles, superhuman strength, um, kind of the epitome of, of masculinity, uh, winning great victories, defeating his enemies, smashing them time after time. That's usually what we think of a man of great strength. And yet as we look at the story of, of, of Samson, we also see that he's a man of, of great weakness. There's a huge contrast, great strength physically and great weakness emotionally and, 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 and spiritually. And as we look at his story, we see at the end of his life, he, he dies a tragic, wretched death, blinded, in, which is an irony because his name means sunny. A tragic end to a life that started with, with so much promise. How did a man with such great strength and great gifts end up in such a place? Well, if I had to take one verse to kind of encapsulate what happens in his life to bring him to the place where he dies in the way that he does... It would be verse 20 of chapter 16. It's one of the saddest verses in all the Bible. And remember that Delilah, in, in, in the context of this verse, Delilah, his lover, has finally discovered the secret of his great strength. And she cuts his hair. And she calls in the Philistines to, to capture him. And then we read this in verse 20. Samson awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. And then comes the devastating phrase. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. So let's review his story. As we heard Paul read, Samson's birth was a miraculous birth. He was born to an Israelite man and a sterile wife. It's foretold by an angel. The angel says that he's going to grow into a man who's going to deliver Israel from their, their mortal enemies, the Philistines. And then we read, as we read his story in chapters 13 and 14 and 15, he grows into a man and God grants him superhuman strength. And he uses that strength to battle and to batter and to destroy hundreds of Philistines. Now, this morning, we're not going to go into chapters 14 and 15 very much, where we see two stark contrasts of, of, of Samson's life. On the one hand, Samson fights. He does what he's predestined to do. He, he fights and destroys and delivers the Israelites from the Philistines. It says that he kills a thousand with a jawbone of a donkey. He kills a lion with his bare hands. But on the other hand, this man of great strength, we see his great weakness. And we see him as a man who has a fatal flaw, an Achilles heel, and it flicks him over and over and over, and, and eventually it leads to his downfall. And so as we look at Samson's story, we, we notice... Some, some themes, these same themes, these same currents that run through his story. And the first thing we notice is that there's this pattern that keeps repeating itself over and over and over in Samson's life. And the pattern is this, attraction, temptation, compromise, corruption. 
attraction, temptation, compromise, corruption. Over and over, this pattern seems to be repeated in Samson's life. And we see it begin back in chapter 14 where Samson first falls for a Philistine woman. Remember, the Israelites and Philistines, they're, they're, they're mortal enemies. And, and the Old Testament commands, don't marry a woman from a foreign country. They'll pull you into their foreign gods and so forth. So that, that, he knows this. He's been taught this. His parents object, but he chooses to ignore their advice, to ignore God's word, and he marries this woman anyway. And then seeds are sown that bear fruit in chapter 16, verse 1, where it says, One day Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute, and he went in to spend the night with her. And then in verse 4, this pattern is continued again. Sometime later he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the pattern we see here is that Samson's fatal flaw, his great weakness was a a powerful lust for women, in particular, pretty Philistine women. He can't seem to resist them. He's literally sleeping <clears throat> with the enemy. And Delilah, the last one that we see he has an encounter with, sees his downfall. Now, it's interesting that Delilah is the only one who's named. The other women, you know of them, but they're not named. But this woman, Delilah, she's named. And, and many scholars think that the root of her name was from the Hebrew word dalal, which means to weaken. If so, how fitting is that? In any case, this relationship, the one with Delilah, is the one that weakens him to the point where this man of great strength, of great promise, is destroyed by a great weakness, a lack of self-control, uh, and inability to resist sexual temptation. It sounds like it's taken right from the headlines, doesn't it? I mean, how many stories have we heard? Do we continue to hear of of men or, or women in positions of influence or power or prestige, leadership, and they fall because of sexual sin. The Bible, we see countless examples, right? David, King David, Esau, Solomon, Jehoshaphat. There's, there's many others as well. And it's the same today. Sexual temptation is a great struggle for many, many people, especially since the advent of, of the Internet, social media, websites, videos, on and on. And just like Samson, so with, with us as human beings, the results are devastating for marriages, for individuals, for communities, for churches, for Christian witness. So what can we learn from this, from Samson's life? Whether it's a sexual temptation or some other pattern that keeps repeating itself in our life, attraction, temptation, compromise, corruption, what can we learn? How can we break this pattern? Well, let's look at verses 15 and 16, and we'll find there by inference a prescription to break this pattern that keeps repeating itself. Now, before I, I read, just so you know, Delilah here, she's trying to learn the secret of, of Samson's great strength. The Philistines, they know that Samson has a thing for Delilah. They think this, okay, we found his weakness. Let's use this weakness to destroy him. And so they come to Delilah and say, hey, we know he loves you and whatever. So find out why he's so strong. And then, then we can use this and, and, and capture him and, and defeat him. And so two times she asks Samson and he lies to her about the secret of her, his great strength. And twice she comes out with egg on her face. She's embarrassed. And now listen to the words. This, this is the third time. Then Delilah said to Samson, how can you say I love you when you will not confide in me? 
This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. And with such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. Now, this is kind of, if it wasn't so sad, it'd almost be funny. This massive man, superhuman strength. And what's his downfall? He cannot resist a woman who nags him. I mean, he just, she just wears him out. And now the question I want to ask here is, what in the world is, what in the world is, is Samson doing? What is he thinking? I mean, twice already she's tried to rat him out. You know this thing, once bitten, twice shy? Well, he's been twice bitten, and he's none shy. What is he doing? He knows what she is going to do with the information. Why in the world would he tell her the secret to his great strength? She doesn't love him. She's in it for the reward. And incredibly, instead of running from the situation, instead of breaking the relationship off, he stays. I guess he thought he had it under control. He's presumptuous. I got out before. I can do it again. And, instead, and, and, and he gives into her pleading. Now, normal people, they don't do this kind of thing, right? I mean, normal people don't run into the arms of temptation after being repeatedly burned. Or do we? The problem with Samson was he'd already gone off the edge, over the edge. This pattern that kept repeating itself in his life had led him to the place where he could not leave and would not leave even if he wanted to. Attraction, temptation, compromise, corruption. That's the way temptation works. Temptation, it sucks you in, and after repeatedly giving in to it, you lose the desire and the ability to walk away. And the prescription is, not, is to not take unnecessary risk, to not put yourself in a position in a situation where you're under pressure, where you're likely to fall, where you know you're going to fall, especially where your fatal weakness, your great weakness is concerned. A wise person, a person who wants to live a life pleasing to God, will take steps to avoid beginning a pattern like this, much less repeating it over and over and over again. There was a great article about uh, Billy Graham a number of years ago in Time magazine, and it was, it was titled, And Then There Was Billy. And the, the author was interviewing Billy Graham, and, but began by listing all these, these huge failures of evangelists, uh, all the moral failures and scandals. And then he's comparing those failures and lives to the life of Billy Graham. And, and the article talked about how incredibly concerned and how careful Billy Graham was so that he would not fall in that way. And it talks about how he, he was not willing to ride in a car alone with a woman who was not his wife. That was a rule. He would not break it. An article made a, a lot of a, a big deal about this, this stand of his and the fact that at the end of the article, he was 75 years old at the time. And the article ended with these words, so far, so good. Billy Graham knew that if you play with fire, you're going to get burned. And it was a lesson that Samson never learned. He played with fire. He was burned badly by it. It was his great weakness, and he never dealt with it, and that's why he fell. And he lived on the edge, and instead of avoiding situations and people who would feed his weakness, he sought them out, deliberately, intentionally sought them out. 
And the pattern kept repeating itself in his life until it says he woke up and he had not realized that God had left him. Now, I don't know what it is that is your great weakness, what leads you astray. My guess is you could tell me if you felt comfortable and confident and safe with me. It might be certain relationships or habits. It could be certain foods or drinks or substances. It might be certain websites or social media or certain thoughts. Whatever it might be, Jesus said these words in Matthew 5. If your, your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Better to do that than to continue to sin and lose your whole body. Jesus is saying basically, completely avoid, throw away, always avoid anything or anyone, any situation that causes you to stumble. And Samson doesn't do that. Instead, with his right eye, he he laser focuses in, he stares at, he obsesses, he leers, he ogles, he desires until it leads him to a place that he can't get out of. Wise people do not live on the edge. They don't deliberately, repeatedly indulge in areas of personal weakness. Martin Luther said this great metaphor uh, from almost 500 years ago about temptation. You cannot stop the birds flying over your head, but you can stop them from nesting in your hair. Now, before we move on to the second thing we see in the story, it's interesting to note the parallels between Samson and the nation of Israel. Both of them are born humble beginnings from nothing. Both of them are blessed by God in great ways, with great gifts, great opportunities. And yet both commit adultery. Samson with, with Philistine women and Israel with the pagan gods of the surrounding peoples. So we've seen a, a pattern that's been repeated in his life. And the prescription from the scriptures is to avoid, to, to walk away, to not run towards. He rejects that. And now we come to the place where he realizes the power of God has left him. And a presumption that he's had about God's blessing is refuted. So we go to the story. Delilah passes on the secret of Samson's strength to the Philistines in verse 18. In verse 19, he, he wakes up, you know, he's asleep, and she cuts his hair. And while he's sleeping, he, the great gift that God has blessed him with, the great blessing that God has given him, he, he loses it. It's, it's gone. He no longer has superhuman strength. Now, just an aside, I was thinking about this, you know, Pastor Paul, he's our worship pastor. He has long hair, right? He's very gifted, great with music, great with singing. I wondered if he, I've never seen him get his hair cut. If he cut his hair as far as mine, could he only play chopsticks? I mean, would he be, would he just have like two, uh, like two or three note range? I don't know. Well, I, I hope we never find out. Anyway, back, back to Samson. In verse 20, he awakens and he discovers the Philistines are come to capture. And he says to himself, I'll do what I always do. I can pull this off. I always get out of it. And then these chilling words, but he did not know that the Lord had left him. Now, there are three references in Samson's story in Judges where we are told that the Spirit of God overpowers him. It's a sense of filling him with a, with a powerful, with the power of God to accomplish great tasks. And they all come, these instances all happen in chapters 14 and 15. There's nothing about it in chapter 16 because by this point, the Spirit of the Lord had left the stage. 
In fact, in chapter 15, there's almost a marking point about this. Samson is really thirsty. He cries out to God. God miraculously gives him water through a rock. And then it says, Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. It's almost as if the author of Judges is saying his ministry, his useful ministry, is it's done. Because in chapter 16, Samson has gone his own way. He's full of pride. He's arrogant. He thinks he's self-sufficient, self-made. And it's as if God says to him at that point, okay. You want to do it your way without me, as you wish. And God leaves him to his own devices. And after his hair was cut and he springs to meet the Philistines, Samson discovers that he has made a very grave error, a very wrong-headed presumption. He has presumed that God's blessing would not leave him that God would not remove his blessing regardless of how he lived his life. I mean, how many of us make the same mistake? We live the way we want to, with whom we want to, how we want to, when we want to. We ignore God's clear will and commands. And then we have the gall to expect his blessing. We have no right to expect God's blessing when we deliberately knowingly, persistently, live disobediently. Again, we see parallels between Samson and and Israel. Israel, just like Samson, was presumptuous where God's blessing was concerned. We are the chosen people. We are God's people. He's built us out time and time again. He's going to do it again. We have an example of of this in 1 Samuel 4. The high priest Eli uh, is being judged for his life. And the Ark of the Covenant is captured and says the glory of God departed Israel. It wasn't that the Philistines captured God himself and took his glory with them. God's glory and his power and his blessing departed Israel because of deliberate disobedience. Exactly what happened to Samson. And we must remember this truth. We cannot defy God's will and his word and expect God to bless us. It just doesn't work that way. So we have a pattern we've seen repeated in Samson's life. We see that he has rejected God's prescription to to temptation. We've seen that God's powers depart from him because of his presumption. I can live my life however I want. God's still going to bless me. I'm still going to have my gifts. And then finally we come to a pretension demolished. Verse 23. The rulers of the Philistines assembled to make a great sacrifice to their god Dagon, saying, Our God has delivered Samson into our hands. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. You see, the Philistines are beginning to think that their god Dagon has gotten the upper hand on Yahweh, the God of Israel. They, they think that their God is the real deal. Yet in verse 22, we see a a ray of hope. But the hair on Samson's head began to grow again after it had been shaved. A ray of hope. Now, if I was the Philistines, I think I would have been watching for stubble and made him look like Mr. Clean. But they didn't do that. They were arrogant. They were proud. They thought their God was more important, more superior than the God of Israel. 
that Dagon has the glory now. But the God of Israel and our God will never allow his glory to be given to another. God will not be mocked. God will not be trifled with. So Samson's strength returns. The roof falls in. Thousands of Philistine leaders die with Samson. A pretension demolished. God will never allow others to defeat his cause. Now, he may for a time bring some judgment upon his people because of of their sin. He may withdraw his blessing because of disobedience. But he will never allow others to claim the glory that is his in his alone. There's a story that Richard Vernbrand um, tells in his book, God's Underground. He was a pastor who suffered for eight years in a communist prison. He was set free, and one day he was preaching in the cathedral. And a member of the secret police, a man named Uganju, uh, came in to, to listen. And by the end of the message, he was furious because he felt what, that what Vernbrand was preaching was anti-communist. And he began yelling and screaming and threatening Vernbrand, saying, You're finished! You're finished! And then he walked outside. And about 30 seconds later, a car jumped the curb and crushed Uganju to the wall, killing him. And Vernbrand said in his book that every now and then God would give that sort of sign just to show that he was in control. That he was not going to be mocked, that he was not going to allow his power and his glory be maligned or given to another. And now we come to the end of Samson's story and there's so much more we could talk about. But I want to leave three takeaways, three takeaways real quickly. The first is gifts and abilities, talents aren't everything. What counts? Consecration, commitment, and obedience. Samson had everything going for him except for one thing. He he lacked discipline. He lacked obedience. And so his world came crashing down, literally. God is not concerned primarily with our abilities and our talents and our gifts. What matters to him is that we are available and that we are obedient. The second thing I want to add is sex is not everything. Despite what our culture says, it's not everything. What matters is self-control. It's, it's ironic that King Solomon, who wrote this verse, lacked self-control in this area. But he wrote these words. Like a city whose walls are broken down is a person who lacks self-control. That resonates, doesn't it? So please be wise. Please be careful. Set boundaries. Cut out things, relationships, behavior situations that play to your weakness. Establish relationships of accountability and support. And finally, the last thing I want to add, the last takeaway, is failure is not everything. What matters is repentance. You see, we all are going to fail. It's just part of being human. We're all sinners. Somebody once said the whole truth about any of us would shock the rest of us. But both individually and corporately, there's always a way back with God, the way of repentance. Even in Samson, at the end of his life, with all the mess he'd made of it, God heard Samson. And God will hear us if we turn and repent. And some of us maybe have been flirting with disaster in the area of our weaknesses. We may be doing so at this very moment. 
It's not too late to come in repentance. It's not too late to find restoration and freedom. Will we do that? Or will we persist to deliberately do something we know is not a part of God's will and yet still expect his blessing? Will we do that and suddenly wake up and discover that the Lord has has left us? See, ultimately, the book of Judges and the story of Samson, just like the rest of the Bible, they point us to Jesus Christ because human heroes are all flawed. They all have Achilles heels. They all will let us down and disappoint us at some point. But Jesus Christ never will. He's flawless. He is without sin. He is, he is perfect. We can count on him. We can depend upon him. And so when we, we have these, these temptations, we don't have to give in. Because we have a Savior who will help us, who will sustain us, who will strengthen us, who will set us free, who will set us on a new path if we but yet trust in him. So let's learn from the story of of Samson. And let's learn not only not what to do, but let's learn by inference what we should do and let us follow through so that we will grow in our joy, and our faith, and our obedience. And we'll see the patterns that have been established in our lives broken in a new way of life, a new way that honors God be left in its place. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for your son, Jesus. And we look at the story of Samson, and there's much of it that makes us shake our heads or scratch our heads, but there's much of it that makes us think silently, yeah, that's, that's been me, or that is me, or that could be me. Father, we pray that, uh, that your Holy Spirit would guide us and fill us and direct us, that you would set us free from any patterns that are dishonoring to you, any thoughts or actions or attitudes which are leading us to places that we shouldn't go and don't want to go. We pray for Uh, your spirit to break any strongholds in our lives. And we pray, Lord, that you would uh, help us, Lord, to walk in obedience, to to be available, to to seek to honor you, Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We just pray for your blessing and your peace now upon us. Uh, We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.